Welcome to the Piecing It All Together podcast. My name is Bo Sanders, and have I got a treat for you today. Randy and Edith are back from their cross-country tour, and they have brought some audio with them. We had an un- we had an unplanned uh, hiatus of the podcast, and we apologize for that. We actually had gotten together before Randy and Edith went on their cross-country tour, and we were supposed to record that morning. But as we had breakfast together, it became evident that there was some work that needed to be done on the farm before they left, and so we decided not to record but to work on the farm instead. And so we are delighted to be back. And uh, in the next couple of days, you're going to hear some really fun audio. What you're going to hear today is the Stoutmeyer Chapel from Western Theological Seminary in Michigan. This is an introduction to the Stoutmeyer Lectures. And so we are impressed that they brought Randy out for that prestigious lecture series. This is a short presentation that he does at the chapel, and we are grateful to the seminary for passing along that audio. Tomorrow, you're going to get the Q and R, the question and response section of the lectures. Um, you're going to enjoy that a lot. Randy is so fantastic in that setting of people asking questions and him providing really thoughtful and uh, quite innovative sometimes uh, responses to people's questions. So I hope that you will enjoy that tomorrow. If you would like to support us, we are on Patreon. You can find the links in the show notes. We are grateful for the conversation that we have been having online and now in person result of these podcast episodes so if you'd like to join us go ahead and like our facebook page post there you can comment in the sections below on our podcast page of piecing it all together and we will look forward to this ongoing conversation let us know what you think we always love the feedback good morning the Lord be with you. Come to us today, O God. Hear the word of the Lord. Now all the tax collectors and sinners were coming near to listen to him. And the Pharisees and the scribes are grumbling and saying, This fellow welcomes sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable. Which one of you, having a hundred sheep and losing one of them, 
does not leave the 99 in the wilderness and go after the one that is lost until he finds it. When he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders and rejoices. When he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so, I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine righteous persons who need no repentance. Or what woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one of them, does not light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? When she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. Just so, I tell you, there is joy in the presence of angels of God over the one sinner who repents. Jesus continued, There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth and wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country, who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods and the pigs, with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare, and here I am starving to death? I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But, how, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the elder son was in the field. When he came near to the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, Look, all these years I have been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when, his son of, but when this son of yours has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you killed the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you're always with me, and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad, because this brother of yours was dead and, and is alive again. He was lost and is found.
Today we have the great pleasure to welcome Reverend Dr. Randy Woodley to speak to us today. He is our Stoudermire lecturer, so please come back this afternoon. Please help me in welcoming him. Thank you. I uh, was told I have 12 minutes and I don't see a clock and I don't wear a watch, so somebody's going to have to nudge me at about 10. Uh, I I have to confess before you, um, uh, I've been a follower of Jesus uh, since October 23rd, 1975, uh, and had developed a love-hate relationship with the church. As I look at Jesus and how he dealt with the religion in his day, I also find something similar. He wants the best for God's intentions for his followers and for the people who are calling themselves by God's name. And yet sometimes it was the worst that actually came out. And and this is one of those occasions in this story, uh, one story that appears to be three, but really is just one story. And the context is the Pharisees, of course, Luke 15, 1 and 2, the Pharisees grumbling, complaining that he welcomes sinners and even eats with them. Well, what's wrong with that? I mean, the Pharisees fed sinners. They fed people. Um, That was part of what they did. But they didn't eat with them, right? And to sit down at table with someone, to say that we are at the same table, we are equal, is to give them your shalom. To recognize the larger principle of shalom. The justice, the mercy, the equality, the equity, all of the things that go into this great construct of shalom. But at the top of Jesus' mind, I think, and I'll tell you why I think this, was that test of shalom that is always tested on the margins. Do we have shalom? Are we experiencing shalom? How do you know? Well, there's that holy triad from all of the Old Testament, continuously repeated. How are we treating the widows? How are we treating the orphans? How are we treating the immigrants? Because those are three classes of people in a agrarian Patris society that have no claim. They have no means of supporting themselves. They have no way to make it in such a society. So they are the most marginalized. And they are that triad. And so Jesus begins to uh, tell them a story that will hopefully set them straight about who God is and maybe even who he is. And the first story, of course, is that story of the shepherd and the lost sheep. Now, the wonderful thing about stories is, you know, Jesus in his relationship with the Pharisees, sometimes he di- confronted them directly, you know, quite harshly. I mean, it's pretty, when you tell someone that you're a, a, a whitewashed tomb, that's a pretty, or a snake, that's a pretty uh, drastic uh, call. And when you pronounce all the woes, you know, that he did. But sometimes he tells stories. And in this story, uh, Jesus begins to, to 
his goal is for them to find themselves in story. And that's exactly what story does, right? We find ourselves in the story. And so Jesus said, which one of you having a hundred sheep? That was not a compliment. They understood what he was saying. This is not the Old Testament days of the Lord is my shepherd. This is the New Testament days of urbanization and building up Jerusalem. And to the point where shepherds were no longer even allowed to testify in court because they were most often Gentiles and at the very least lower class Jews. And so they just said, let's take away their rights. So they have no testimony. And so when Jesus said to the Pharisees, which one of you having a hundred sheep? It was not a compliment. And, and then he talks about this welcoming factor that brings this one lost one back in and then everyone has a party. It's a community, right? And you see that throughout each story. The, the second one, uh, what about a woman who has ten coins? Uh, who would that be? That would be a widow who's given the ten drachma that, that she uses uh, as her currency to borrow and to uh, create a life for herself because that's what widows are allowed to have. And she loses one-tenth of her estate. And certainly the Pharisees didn't want to find themselves in the story as a woman. Right? And then he goes on. And, and, and she, when she finds it, calls her community and parties. And then he gets to sort of what I call the clincher. And this is where he really wants the Pharisees to find themselves in the story. And so he talks about two sons. I call this the story of the two lost sons. And we know the story. We've been told it from our childhood, most of us. Um, You know, we know that the first son has the right to two-thirds of the inheritance and the second son one-third of the inheritance and nobody after that. We know that the second son... Asking for his inheritance was akin to wishing the father's death because he shouldn't have got it until he died. Um, we know there's all sorts of social taboos that are going on. Um, uh, one uh, uh, biblical scholar says that when uh, this such a thing would happen, that the village elders would come before that son and break a pot in front of them and say, if you return to this village, this is what will happen to you. And certainly the Pharisees didn't see themselves as that son. And so, then Jesus talks about a loving father who not only was watching for his son, but he was watching and saw him when he was far off. So, I've been that son in my past, and I have been that father as well in my own life. Waiting, watching the clock, 1 o'clock, 2 o'clock, 3 o'clock in the morning. Watching for the lights to come on in the driveway, listening for the door to open. Uh, I know the pain of that father. And the Pharisees at this point may be thinking to themselves, this is where we find ourselves in the story. We find ourselves as that loving father. But I don't know, that son, what he did, maybe it's unforgivable. 
but it says the most probably I would say the most pronounced and descriptive and beautiful word in all of scripture about who God is and what God's character is it says that the father went running to the son isn't that beautiful a God who comes running to us doesn't doesn't wait for us but comes running and and the son has the speech ready you know, Father, I've sinned against heaven and earth, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me as one of your hired servants. And, you know, just so that he can get a meal like everybody else. And, you know, the great thing about that speech is because when he finally gets to the Father, and he starts and repeats his speech, the Father doesn't even listen to it. He doesn't pay attention to it. He doesn't need to hear that because all that matters is his son has returned. And so at this time, I think the Pharisees were probably like, well, maybe on a good day, you know, that's me. You know. But then the story's not over. Of course, he calls that whole village back together, and they have this wonderful reunion and this party, this gathering. But then he says, oh, and there's this older brother. And the older brother goes outside the party. And the older brother is, what's he doing? He's, go back to Luke 15, 1 2. He's grumbling and complaining because the father was welcoming the son back. Right? And so the Pharisees, without a doubt, understood who Jesus was talking about. They had to find themselves in the story as the elder brother. They had to understand that it was Jesus once again pointing out their hypocrisy. Pointing out the fact that they have not given the welcome that their ancient Shalom Sabbath Jubilee system calls for. That they've fallen short. They had a fundamental misunderstanding of who God was and a fundamental fundamental misunderstanding of who Jesus represented and who Jesus was. There's something else going on in that story. And and, and we don't know, you know, Luke constructed this, uh, but there's there's actually a lot of moving parts. So by this time, the Pharisee realized that Jesus is talking about, in the first story, an immigrant, a foreigner. In the second story, a widow. And the third story, not just an orphan, but someone who deliberately made himself an orphan. And Jesus is asking that old Dr. Phil question. How's that working for you? So, you notice in the first story, there is a hundred and, or ninety-nine and one. There's a hundred. You notice the, the second story, it's one out of ten. And in the third story, it's actually one out of two. I started thinking about that. Where, where have I seen that pattern before? Where have I understood that in Scripture? And I began to think about, oh yeah, Sodom and Gomorrah. They're in hospitality. Yeah. And, and how... God was bargained with. What if, what if there's a hundred righteous? What if there's 50 righteous? 
What if there's ten righteous? I'm not sure that's there by accident. But Jesus has something to say to us through this story. And that story is about shalom. That story is understanding the kingdom which he represented. It's about welcoming. It's about taking care of the most marginalized in society. It's about making sure that the most disenfranchised in our society have safety nets. And that the immigrants, the foreigners, are welcome.